Well, this morning we are kicking off a new series called Habits in which we are looking at small disciplines that we can use in our lives to have big differences come uh, to us as we seek to follow after Jesus. We're, we're essentially taking a, a pretty big question, uh, the question of, well, how might I grow in my faith? How can I take a next step? And so we're going to begin exploring some of the various tools, some of the spiritual disciplines that we oftentimes associate with following Jesus, talking about what those look like, their purpose, their point, um, as we go through this series. But perhaps you can relate to something like this uh, when it comes to starting a new habit in your life. Let's just say that there's something that you want to begin doing for the first time or to get back into the groove. And so you tell yourself what you need to do is to wake up 30 minutes early every morning. And maybe it's to spend time with God. Maybe it's to pray, read read the word. Maybe it's to exercise. There's, there's something that you want to do and you say, all I need is 30 minutes and you tell yourself, well, 30 minutes isn't too early, so I'll just start that. Well, it's Sunday evening and you you set the alarm on your phone, but one of your friends comes over and then they happen just to stay a little bit longer than they anticipated and it's like two hours later that you're finally going to bed after you wanted to and then the alarm goes off on Monday morning and you're reaching out and you just snooze, snooze, whack, whack, whack and without even realizing it, you've hit snooze like 17 times. You look at the clock and it's no longer 30 minutes early it's actually 15 minutes late and so you you jump out of bed and you hop in the shower and you put on clean clothes and you get ready and as you're getting ready you, you it dawns on you oh man I was supposed to do that thing today anyways it, it's cool it's cool I'll uh, I'll just I'll just save it for lunchtime I've got an hour for lunch I'll block out that time and it'll be good and so you go into the office and it's a Monday and Mondays are the worst unless you're one of those weird type a people who love Mondays because oh it's a new week to get things done but most of us were like, uh, Mondays. And so Monday comes along and lunchtime, and then you got a couple coworkers who, who come in and they say, hey, uh, we're all going to go check out the new El Toro across the street. You want to come with us? And you're like, well, duh, because who doesn't love bottomless chips and salsa? And so, so you go in the car and you're driving over there and then you, you remind yourself, oh man, I was supposed to do that thing during lunch. It's okay. I'll just do it after dinner uh, tonight. So you get home. It's been a long day. It's been a Monday. You eat dinner and, and the kids are all riled up and you're just a little little tired and, and you finally get everything all settled and then when your kids ask you a question about algebra and you don't remember any algebra, so you go to the bathroom for 20 minutes and you Google equations and then you come out pretending like you remembered the equations from sixth grade because you know math is super important and all that type of stuff. And then you finally get them to bed and you unwind and laundry hasn't been done in 12 days and the dishes are stacked to the ceiling and the lawn needs to be mowed. And you finally take a breath, and it's 9 p.m., and you tell yourself, man, I was supposed to start that new habit today. It's okay. I'm saved by grace. So you pop on Netflix. I'm just going to watch one episode, and then I'm going to go to bed, and then one episode turns into seven, and then you start the cycle all. Anybody ever been there before when it comes to starting a new habit? I know I know, I have been. We have these good intentions, and, and we, we want to get the ball rolling, but we lose sight of it all too quickly. You see, when we talk about spiritual habits, what we're really talking about is how to take another step in our discipleship, in our walk with Jesus. And if we're going to start anywhere when talking about, well, why should I grow? Where do I start? What does that look like? There's one phrase that's mentioned in the majority of the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They use this one phrase as Jesus is talking about what it means to follow Jesus as a believer. And it's the phrase, pick up your 
cross. In fact, Matthew records it on multiple times, over and over and over. Jesus said to them, pick up your cross. He said to his disciples, pick up your cross. It's almost like he's recording it saying, hey, this is really important. So I'm not going to tell you just one or two times. We're going to tell you a lot of times so that when you hear it, you, you can internalize it and begin to understand what this means. And so Jesus, this is one account of when Jesus uses this phrase. In Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me. For what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? This is a pretty powerful statement made by Jesus. It says, if anyone wants to be my disciple. He starts off by just putting it out there. He says, if. But there's a decision to be made. You notice he said, though, to be my disciple, to choose to follow, to act in the same way that I did. Most of the times we associate following Jesus with, well, am I choosing to be holy or worthy? See, Jesus doesn't say that because he knows that it's only through his life, his death, his resurrection, the grace of God that we are made right with God. But he says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he says, then you must deny yourself. And this is the part of that, 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 that verse that really gets under my skin. Because what it's kind of saying is that there's, there's something in you, there's something in me naturally that I have to deny. And I don't like thinking that I'm this evil, uh, sinful person on the inside. I feel like I'm a pretty nice guy. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 there are things in you because of sin. You need to deny yourself. And that's hard. Because I'm with myself all the time. I can never escape myself. Deny yourself. Deny what it is that wants to escape. See, Jesus says, follow after me, not your own heart, not your own way. The prophet Jeremiah shares with us in chapter 2, he says that we are like cisterns. We are like jars that have a slow leak. So anything that comes in is slowly going to leak out. That Any efforts we put into following Jesus, if we're not continuing to let the Spirit pour more and more into us, it's slowly going to leak out. I think it's a perfect understanding of what our faith in Jesus looks like. So he says, pick up your cross. Sometimes they say, pick up your cross daily. It's a public commitment. It's a priority. It's a commitment to be willing to go to the point of death to follow after someone. And then he wraps it up. He says, so follow me. Do as I do. Live as I lived. Love as I love. And so as we start off this series talking about the small habits that can create big results in our walk with Jesus, we need to start here. The purpose, the intentionality of picking up our cross, the if, if you deny, if you follow, if you choose. So I think what Jesus is getting at, and if we ask ourselves this question, we need to start here. It's that if you want to grow, you can't stumble into a growing faith. You can't stumble into a growing faith with Jesus. 
You can't just go through the motions. You can't just simply show up and hope years down the road it's going to somehow materialize. That there has to be a choice. There has to be a decision. There has to be a priority that is made. That you can't stumble into a growing faith. And so that's what the spiritual disciplines are all about. The small habits that can lead to big differences in our walk with Jesus. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some of these disciplines. What do they look like? How do we use them? What are the different forms in which we can engage with them? But before we get there, I think we need to lay a foundation of, well, where do I start? Why, why should I even grow spiritually in the first place? And what is that foundation? Because here's the thing. Whether you like it or not, and Jesus mentions it when we have to deny ourselves, is that our best efforts in our own strength, in our own ability to follow after Jesus fall short. Our best efforts, us at our peak, is so far away from who Jesus has created us to be. That's why the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace that you have been saved, not by works of yourself. And so it becomes this foundation, this concept of grace that we talk about, that we lean into, that we sing songs about, that is central and foundational to who we are as Christians. And so this is where the foundation starts, though, is that grace is the means of transformation, not just transportation. That grace is the means of transforming us into the image of God, not just transportation. And what I mean by transportation is that grace is the, is the act of Jesus that takes us from dead in our sin to alive in Christ. Most of us understand that's the purpose of grace. But grace is also the thing that keeps you going. Day after day, week after week, year after year, moment after moment, that is where you lean in to be transformed into the image of God. You see, grace, it's the Greek word charis. It's where we get the word charisma. And when somebody is charismatic, we say that they, they have a gift. And so grace is the gift of God for our justification. The one moment in which we profess faith for the first time, just as if I never sinned, but is also the power in our sanctification, how we continue to grow forward. But it made me ask the question, well, where, where do we kind of get off track sometimes. You ever feel like you've, you've lost sight of the grace of Jesus in your life? That it was so apparent and so real that, that first moment or that first month or that first year and then it slowly began to leak. Where do we kind of get off track? I think it's this false view sometimes. Is we, we kind of say, well, okay, so I've been born and then at some point I've made a decision to follow Jesus, a, a decision of salvation. And then and if nobody's ever told you, you're going to die at some point. I'm just going to spoil the bad news here. You're going to die and you're going to step into eternity with God. And what, where we get it wrong, where we get it false is we say, well, the point of the gospel, the point of grace is to get me to the moment of salvation. But then from that point forward, it's up to my own work, my own efforts, my own discipleship to continue that journey. That's a false understanding of the purpose of grace in our lives. What we're going to see this morning is the true understanding, the proper view is actually this. It's that the gospel and grace is consistent all throughout. It doesn't just transport you from being born, dead in your sin, to alive in Christ, but it is also the thing that transforms you in your discipleship as you step every day towards eternity. So where does we find this throughout scripture? 
What I want to do real quick is I want to read a collection of passages that really describe what that looks like. What does it mean for the gospel and the grace of Jesus to be constant and consistent in the lives of the believers, in the lives of us as the church? I'm going to read four different passages that speak to it in a different way. So you can follow along with, with me on the screen with these. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain, everyone say remain. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown out and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus' brother, James, he puts it this way in James chapter 4. He says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near. Everyone say, come near. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Paul gives uh, encouragement to the young pastor Timothy in this way. In, in 1 Timothy 4, he says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. And then my favorite one is Peter writes it as he's trying to figure things out. He puts it this way. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies. Look at this illustration. Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I love some of those words. They're deep words. They're heavy words. Remain, come near, train, crave. But you notice what they're all doing? Is they're not calling you to necessarily do something. They're speaking to your heart. Think about the people that you want to remain close to. Think about the people that you draw near to. Think about the things that you crave. Think about the things you set aside time to train for. What it's speaking to is the motivation that is in us all, in our heart, in our soul, in our spirit. And so all of these apostles, they're, they're, they're building this case that there has to be something in you. There has to be a heart within you that is motivated to spend time in the presence of God. And so when we say, well, how do I remain? How do I come near? How do I crave? How do I train? That is the point and the purpose of the spiritual disciplines. These small disciplines that can make a big difference. That is where these habits come into play. If we were to define spiritual disciplines, we might say something like this. That spiritual disciplines are the grace of God, grace of Jesus doing a transforming work in our lives. That the point of reading the Bible, praying, resting, fasting, solitude, serving, giving, time, all these various tools, all these various means are a simple fact of the grace of Jesus doing a transforming work in your life. But just like all of them, it's not transforming you into who you want to be. 
It's not transforming you into who the world is telling you to be. It's transforming you into who Jesus has already crafted you to be. But just like anything else, it takes time. It's ongoing. It's constant. It requires repentance and confession. It requires discipline, priority. It's a lifestyle of worship that extends far beyond and so much deeper than a few hours on a Sunday morning. You see, none of our spiritual disciplines in and of themselves get us to God. That you cannot white-knuckle yourself into the presence of God to be more valuable. That's already been taken care of by Jesus. Let me give you an example. That if the mere act of reading the Bible made you closer to God, there would be people on this planet who would believe in God who claim that he doesn't exist. That there are atheists out there who know, study, memorize this book even more than I have. But what is the difference between him and I? It's because when I go to this book, I'm not trying to get facts. I'm not looking for anything specific. When I go to this book, I'm saying, this is what I want to crave. This is what I want to know. This is how I remain. This is how I draw near to God. And so whether it's reading the Bible, praying, fasting, giving, anything that we are doing as an act of the Spirit of God living in us, it's because the Spirit of God is already living in us. That we cannot accept grace in our theory and in our theology, but leave it out in our practice. Our practice, our habits as Christians. And so this is what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, is how do we develop new grace-fueled habits? That if you find yourself saying, hey, I want to grow in my faith, I want to take the next step, then what you need to look at is, well, maybe you need to develop and have some new grace-fueled habits. There's kind of two different categories of spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about. The first category is disciplines of abstinence. These are disciplines in which you are refraining from something so that you can lean into time with God. Fasting is a perfect example that you are going to refrain from food so that you can lean in to time with God. But then there's also disciplines of engagement, that you are intentionally leaning into God through things, reading your Bible, praying, spending time, meditating on his word. But before we get there, I want to take another step back. And this is where I think it really speaks to all of us. Is where do habits come from? How many of you this morning would say that you have any type of habit in your life? A good habit, a bad habit, a medium habit. Show of hands, how many of you guys say you have some sort of habit, okay? We are creatures of habit. We are creatures who naturally develop routine. We all have habits in our life. And so I found myself asking the question, well, why do we have habits? Where do they come from? How do they get developed? How do we break habits? And what I began to realize is that habits, it's kind of like an equation. That psychologists kind of say that a habit is actually a summation of a couple things happening in your life. And this is kind of it is that a habit is nothing other than a cue or a trigger in your life that creates a habit because you want a reward that is being though supported by a motivation. That there is a cue, a moment, a person, a circumstance, a place, a conversation, a stressor that pushes you to do something, and that is the habit. Why? It's because you want the reward of that habit, but it's all with the heart of the motivation. 
Let me give you an example of a habit. This comes from Charles Duhigg. He wrote a book called The Power of Habit, and he explains one of the habits that he noticed that he had and how he changed it. So Charles Duhigg, he, 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 he talked about how every afternoon he would eat a cookie. Now, if you're like me and you've got like a whole pack of America's Finest Double Stuffed Oreos, it's more like I'm going to eat the entire sleeve of cookie, not just one, but he claims whatever, I only ate one. I don't buy it, but we'll just roll with it. So he said every afternoon I just had to have a cookie. I had this habit in which the afternoon came around 2 p.m. I just had to have a cookie. I'm after lunch. I'm feeling a little sluggish. So this is how it worked for him. Is there was a cue. Every afternoon he felt a little tired, a little sluggish. His brain wasn't, you know, firing as fast. And so what he wanted was a little jolt of energy. Why? The motivation is so that he could wake up his brain and be productive the rest of the day. And so this is how it fleshed out for him. That every afternoon came around around the same time, 2 p.m., he ate a cookie, one cookie supposedly. He got the jolt of energy and he found himself able to finish the rest of the day motivated. He began to say, I mean, eating a bunch of cookies isn't the best. And I'm like, well, you know, if you've got a little milk going on, it's pretty good. So he began to realize, though, what if I stop trying to control the cookie? Because that's what he tried first. If I just get rid of the cookies, if I just, you know, ignore the cookies or just kind of power through, he, he couldn't really kick the habit. And then he began to realize, though, that the way in which to stop eating the cookie was to take a step back. And began to realize, well, what he really wanted the cookie for was to wake up his brain. That every afternoon, he felt sluggish. He wanted to wake up his brain so he could have a jolt of energy and finish the day. And so he began to change his habit by understanding the cue, the reward, and the motivation. And so this is what he did instead. He claims that he's an extrovert. And so every afternoon when he began to feel tired and sluggish, he started just to walk down the office and talk to a few people because that brought him energy. It gave him a jolt of energy and allowed it to wake up his brain. So when we talk about habits, oftentimes we get focused on the habit itself. How do I do this more? How do I do this better? How do I stop doing this thing? And really where we need to start is here, is our motivation. The motivation becomes key. So the same goes for us in our spiritual disciplines. If we're going to take a step forward in our faith, we need to have a real conversation about the motivation of our spiritual life. To put it bluntly, that you won't grow in your faith unless you want to grow in your faith. I think that's what Jesus is kind of getting at. Unless you truly want to do this journey, unless you actually are making the decision to pick up your cross, unless you want to remain, abide, come near, none of that will actually happen. If you want to grow in your faith, you have to grow in your faith. Because you notice those phrases that we read didn't talk about doing anything. Didn't say, well, just, just, just read more chapters of the Bible. Just, just pray longer next time. Just, just, just serve more days of the week. Instead, they have the opportunity to say, remain in me and I will remain in you. Train for godliness. Crave, come near. So the encouragement that we need to walk away with as we start this series, this foundation is understanding our motivation for growing with Jesus. Our motivation can't be something as simple as, well, I got to do that because, because the Bible tells me so. 
The motivation can't be, well, just that's what I know I think Christians are supposed to do, so I'm just going to do those things. The motivation can't be, well, I really want to get some extra gold stars and heaven up on the fridge, so I'm just going to kind of do those things. Now, our motivation for growing our faith has to look something like I have tasted and have seen that the Lord is good, that his grace, that his goodness has transformed me, that his love and his mercies, they're new every single day, that I have found something powerful and I have found something life-giving when I engage with God through one of these tools. In all honesty, as I was prepping for this series these last couple weeks, I felt so convicted my own personal life, my own journey with Jesus. Because it seems so simple and obvious, yet so difficult at times, doesn't it? Well, it's by the grace of God, for the grace of God, for the kingdom of God. Sleep's important. Family time is vital. Chores always need to be done. But I found myself asking myself this question. Does time with God actually get the priority that it deserves in my life? Does time with God actually trump all of those other things? Because I often tell, well, I'm just super busy. I don't got enough time to really get to those things. And I began to take a step back and look, I got plenty of time in a day. I just need to choose what is my motivation in my walk with Jesus. And that's when I begin to be reminded of the grace of Jesus. That it's not by my work, it's not by my effort, it's not by my ability to grit it out, but it's by the work of Jesus already done in me. See, spiritual formation, it's the process of becoming who you already are in Jesus. It reminds me of uh, that, that scene in Jurassic Park, the first scene, right, where they're uncovering the fossil and they're, they're, they're brushing it away, and they're digging it out, and they're being very intentional and meticulous and careful. And, and you can tell all these people, it's, it's a priority, and it's a commitment. And then one sandstorm comes, and it blows all this sand over, and, and undoes all of the work that they just did. And, and I'm thinking, man, that, that feels like me sometimes. That feels like my walk with Christ, that I, I do all this work, but then I get a little lax. I get a little uh, easy on it, and then all of a sudden, the sandstorms of life come and they blow all the work over again. The work of Jesus, who Jesus has created me to be, is still there, but I lost the purpose and the intentionality. And I found myself running back to this passage in Colossians over and over and over. Let me share it with you this morning. Colossians chapter 2 says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. He's talking about the grace of Jesus. Just as you receive your justification, continue sanctification, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. There's no mention of do more Add more, more quantity. There's no mention of do it a little bit longer or harder next time. It's a reminder. The same grace that has saved you is the same grace that sustains you as you walk this life with Jesus. And so as we get ready to venture over the next five weeks into this series, these different tools, these small disciplines, we want to lay the foundation here. Is that the point of the do is to lead you to the who. That the point of the do is to lead you to the who. 
the various do's that we're going to talk about, not hair do's, but the various spiritual disciplines that we're going to talk about through this series, reading your Bible, prayer, fasting, solitude, service, using your gifts, all of those things, the point of those do's is to lead you to God. You don't do it so you can pat yourself on the back. You don't do it so you can check off a list. You do it because when you exercise that tool, you are just uncovering a little bit more of who Jesus has created you to be because of the work of his grace in your life. It's not a checkbox, but it is a discipline. And with every discipline, just showing up is half the battle. But remember, you can't stumble into a stronger As we move to a time of response this morning, I want to read a quote to you. It's from the book Thirsty for God by the theologian Bradley Holt. And he really speaks to this idea of how grace not just saves us, but sustains us in our walk with him. He puts it this way. He says, it is the grace of God that initiates our relationship to God. And it is the grace of God that energizes us to activity. Not to create the relationship, but to exercise it. To give the relationship the attention that gives the possibility for growth. You know, I think sometimes when we when we talk about growing spiritually, our mind first jumps to a list of don'ts, doesn't it? Well, if I just if I just stop doing these things, it's gonna push me forward. And there's definitely a part in which as we grow up and more mature in our relationship with Jesus, we have less of a desire to do the things that we know we shouldn't. You know, one time I actually, I heard a pastor uh, in one of his messages, he gave this line. He said, the goal of the Christian life is not to be sinless. And I was like, okay, cool, we're tracking. But it is to sin less. And I kind, of, I kind of freaked out. I kind of cringed and, and understood his motivation. But, but what that is saying, what he's trying to get at, and it's what I think the trap we fall into is we say, well, the Christian life is just about don't doing, just stop doing all those bad things and you're going to be okay. You know, just, just, just don't do this, don't do this, don't, don't, don't lie, cheat, steal, chew, or run with girls that do type of deal, right? And that's sometimes how we, 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 we break it all down. That following Jesus is just a list of of do's and don'ts. And I think that's where, well, all Christians are just hypocrites because we make it about the don'ts. Well, you know you're not supposed to do that, but I caught you. You know you're not really supposed to be doing that thing, but I saw you. You're just a hypocrite. You haven't really changed. But when you open the pages of the Gospels and you read the words of Jesus, you rarely see a don't or a stop, but you do see a come near, come close remain. I'm here. I did it for you. It's by my grace. Love God. Love others. See, it's when we we start to think that the Christian life is, well, okay, let me just, God, you've saved me. Let me get it from here. We get frustrated. We get get so so tense and and so awkward about it. When we start to think, okay, God, well, I just got to pull myself out. I got my Christian boots on. Don't worry, I'm going to tie them tighter this time. I'm going to pull it up. And I feel like the whole time, what Jesus is just kind of looking at, he's like, why are you doing that? 
I, I already took care of that. You don't have to, to worry about making yourself worthy. You don't have to worry about making yourself right. I took care of that. That's why I came. That's why I lived. That's why I died. And that is certainly why I rose from the grave three days later so that I can pronounce anyone who has faith that my grace is sufficient. You don't have to worry about pulling yourselves up. Instead, just come to me. Just, just, just come spend time with me. Come read my word. Go have a conversation with me in prayer. Intentionally resist something so that I can come closer into your life. I've given you a gift. I've given you a talent. I've given you a resource. Use that. What Jesus is, is, is getting at, he's saying, if you want to come closer to me, just come closer to me. That's what my grace did. It didn't just, just transport you from dead to sin to alive in Christ. It is transforming you, so just open up your heart. So the question, I think, for all of us this morning, myself included, is what is in here? What is my motivation? What is my heartbeat? What is my soul telling me, this is what I need you to do? And we hope over the next few weeks we can provide you with, with tools, with disciplines, these small habits that if we put them into practice can make big results because it's transforming us from the inside out. Because it's where we interact with the grace of God that has already created us anew. What is your motivation? What is your heartbeat? What is your source for living with God? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. God, this morning as we bow in prayer, I just thank you for those words that we sang right before this message. That, that repetition of you are good. Sometimes that's all that we need to do is just to remind ourselves of the truths of who you are. That you are good, we are not. You are good, we are not. May you be the king of my heart. May that be a cry and a prayer for us as individuals, for us as families, and for us as a church. May you, Lord, be the king of our heart. May we reflect on your goodness and how you have called us out into this life, into this world to make a difference for the kingdom of God. May your goodness, may your grace be our motivation as we seek to draw closer to you. It's your name that we pray. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, we're going to invite you to participate in a couple of spiritual disciplines. We do these every single week during this time of the service. The first one is if you came prepared with your tithes and offerings, during this response time, you can get up out of your seat and approach one of the given respond boxes all throughout the room or you can drop it in on your way out the doors. The second thing is that there are tables spread throughout the room, and at these tables is what we call communion. There's a little cracker and a little juice that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, the blood of Christ that was spilt for you, and it was done out of the grace of God to make you new. And so during these next couple songs, 
whether you're a member, a regular attender, you're just checking things out. But if you have professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, whenever you're ready, whenever you feel led, you can approach any of those tables and remember the grace of Jesus this morning. And lastly, we've got these prayer benches here at the front of the stage. We invite you, if you are so inclined, that you can come forward, you can kneel to God in prayer, you can talk to him, you can have a conversation, you can leave it all out because the grace of God has made him accessible.